What's going on, everybody? Leo Canero here with today's Seven Figures Club podcast. And for all of you entrepreneurs, small business owners, and side hustlers who are looking for a way to build a bill, a business, an empire, make a lot of money, but also do a lot of good, have some social responsibility and some purpose beyond just absolutely building an empire and doing it with the focus on making a difference. Well, that's my friends why we've got Bessie Graham here with us today. She's an award-winning entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience working with business owners, governments, and large funding bodies to bring doing good and making money back together again. Thank you for doing that. From the grassroots of sitting in the dirt working with business owners in the Pacific Islands to the United Nations headquarters in Geneva, Bessie has seen it all and brings an unparalleled perspective on what makes change happen. Working with people who have made it but haven't quite found fulfillment, she helps them put their time, talents, and treasure to work in ways that align with their values and allow them to create a legacy that they can be proud of. She teaches people to quiet the noise and the, and the demands and opinions of all the other people that surround us, all the other voices, so that you can actually hear your voice clearly and contribute from a place of authenticity. She removes the frustration and pressure that comes from living someone else's idea of success and replaces it with a sense of flow and fulfillment that can only come when you tap into the fullness of who you are and who you are becoming, which is just as important as the, what you're doing. So, Bessie, welcome to the show. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Thank you so much. Really looking forward to having a chat with you. Well, Bessie, we always like to kind of begin these podcasts by learning a little bit more about your background, what kind of led you to entrepreneurship. So two questions, who was Bessie growing up in high school and what experiences led you down this path of entrepreneurship? Sure. So for me, really, I think that in terms of that origin story or my family growing up, there was a sense of there being probably four core values in my family two that were more driven by my dad and two that were more driven by my mum. And okay. together they really have given me what I would say is a beautiful relationship with money because I am not scared of money, but I'm also not scared of hard work, which is necessary if you're going to be an entrepreneur. So in my family growing up, we didn't have uh, much money from a financial standpoint. We weren't really well off. Uh, but my dad really instilled in us a sense of work ethic and independence. So I've had a job since I was 10. I was a, uh, you know, originally was a cleaner, first up in people's houses, then at a conference centre. And then by the time I was in high school, I was cleaning a bakery from when it closed to when the bakers came in at night to bake throughout the night. So I've always had that sense of understanding the value of money and the need to be willing to work hard and not just expect that it will be given to you. But uh, to sort of soften that, if you like, my mum brought to the mix a sense of wanting to instill in us 
uh, some perspective and a sense of social justice. And so for her, it was really about saying, how do you teach your kids not just to compare themselves to those around them or the wealthy people in their circles, but to instead say, actually, the majority of the world has almost nothing. And if you've got running water and electricity, you're very well off. So she sort of brought that perspective so that actually we didn't have a sense that we were poor (laughs) or didn't have have much, um, but instead felt incredibly fortunate. So, you know, her idea of a family holiday was taking us to a the annual conference for one of the nonprofits in Australia that worked with um, aid and development and sort of very much making sure that we understood where we sat. Uh, And so that perspective and sense of social justice um, connects, if you like, when you said in the, the intro, that idea for me of saying, how do you do good and make money at the same time? I don't want to be someone who is just chasing the money for its own sake um, or promotion for its own sake. But how do I use my skills and my efforts in the world uh, to not feel guilty if I'm successful, but to also um, bring in that idea that my mum was a big fan of, which is to whom much is given, much is expected. So how do those things kind of come together? Yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. So your mom kind of felt this calling to serve. You were learning work ethic from age 10. You were already going down that entrepreneurial path of getting jobs, earning money, getting your money right, understanding how to gain value and so forth. And in the last several years, it seems like there has really been a revolution in entrepreneurship where, yes, you can create a product and service that change humanity, improve lives, but you can also do it you know, with a higher purpose sometimes. And I think one of the examples that probably I think of and a lot of people think of is Tom Shoes and the story of Blake Mykoski, who started Tom Shoes, where he was you know, every pair of shoes they sold, they also would give away a free pair of shoes. But what was your first experience where you started to realize, actually, you can be an entrepreneur and more than just get your money right and create a great product or service, you can also do it with a higher purpose that really improves humanity as a whole. Well, I was very fortunate that, so just over 20 years ago now, I worked with the first ethical investment advisory group in Australia. And so in those early decades of ethical investment, they were already beyond just negative screening of not what you didn't want your money to do in the world, but actively looking at how did you choose where you wanted to put your money to work. And so even before I was formally seeing myself as an entrepreneur and building businesses, I had visibility through ethical investment or, you know, it's got all different names now. We've moved on to calling it impact investment, ESG, whatever you want to call it. But back then it was ethical investment. And so what I saw was even though the market more broadly 20 years ago was saying there's no way you could actually be choosing to support something that had an environmental bent or that had um, anti-slavery aspects to it and make money, like that's for philanthropy, that's where you give money away. Early ethical investors demonstrated and actually have decades of track record now that you can, in fact, make money in those markets. And in fact, some of the aspects where risk sits in other investments, when you are a long-term investor, you have less risk when you take back in-house a whole bunch of those things that other companies are seeing as externalities. So it really shaped in my mind what was possible early on 
And then as I began to step more into that aspect of working with entrepreneurs and then becoming an entrepreneur myself, for me, that parallel is, is very clear that just like a long-term investor who's not in it for a quick win but sees a long game, an entrepreneur has to be having a long game. Uh, you will occasionally have those amazing situations where something just takes off and you can have an exit and that's incredible, but you shouldn't be building assuming that will happen. And so having that longer game in mind means that the lessons I saw from an ethical investment point of view played out. And so that is to say, you gave the example of Tom's Shoes and there's lots of well-known examples, but for your listeners and people engaging, depending on what your business is, the idea of trying to understand which decisions you have control over is a good place to start. So if in your business model, you spend the most money on your supply chain and building a product, then look at those things and say, okay, how are we actually treating those who build our products? What does our supply chain look like? What's our packaging and our shipping? So look at the decisions you have control over and where you're spending the most money. And don't just think about the doing good as being external to your business or the giving away of profit or a donation, because you can, in fact, build it into your business in a way that isn't just a nice to have and feel good factor, but actually can be mutually reinforcing in terms of helping you make more money over time. So then when you did make that jump into entrepreneurship, Bessie, what was that uh, first experience like? And, and uh, what were you offering to the world? What was your product or service? So for me, actually, the, the first business that I set up was an incubator for other businesses. And at the time, my co-founder, who was a serial entrepreneur, said, you're not an entrepreneur, like I'm just telling you, <laughs> you're not. Um, and it was quite interesting to see over the next few years how that shifted and changed. And then together we, we set up multiple um, businesses. But so I had an interesting first dip in the water, if you like, of, of starting yeah. a business, which was, I saw this need. So as an investor, I wanted to invest in businesses that were doing good and making money. And I found over and over again, if I had my philanthropic hat on, I had great organizations I could give a grant to or great organizations I could invest in. But it was hard to find ones where you could actually say this business model stacks up enough. So when I set up the group called The Difference Incubator, it was because there was a gap and I wanted uh, a supply of investable social enterprises, if you like, mm. and they didn't exist. But my frustration when I looked around the world, because at first I thought I'll just bring a different incubator to Australia. My frustration was I didn't like that all of these incubators were telling the businesses they worked with that they needed to have a sustainable business model, but none of the incubators had one. So they were all reliant on grants and donations and things from other places and, and couldn't figure out their own business model but they were telling everyone else to have one. And so I thought, well, I reckon I can figure that out. And I think I can build an incubator that actually is sustainable itself. So I set out to, to do that. And, and I said, I thought it would take five to seven years, um, but we hit it in two years. And I ended up uh, passing uh, the business over to my deputy CEO after I was there much longer than I anticipated. So I ended up being there for seven or eight years. Um, but was really excited to see that we could actually build in a space that is 
almost never <laughs> sustainable itself. We could build out a model that worked. And from there, I, I just kept building other things. So as those gaps emerged, I set up my next business, Benefit Capital, where once those enterprises were ready for investment, we helped structure the deals and bring the investment uh, into those, those organisations. So that was a little bit of the, uh, the strange side entry for me into entrepreneurship. Interesting. So you started out, you're building this incubator and all the incubators of the time are giving out advice that they themselves may not necessarily, you know, actually practice what they preach. They're not actually having a profitable business model. They're dependent upon, you know, just generating donations and so forth. And so you actually created a model, if I understand correctly, where it was self-sustaining and yeah. not and And now you're coming from a place of strength where, hey, not only have we got all this experience, we're actually running this entire incubator with business principles that are leading to success. Is is that exactly kind of how it works? Yeah. And it's still going strong now. So they're yeah. 12 years in. Um, and for me, that aspect, and I'm sure you found the same thing, when you work with entrepreneurs and you're not just an academic person telling them theory of how this should work, but you're saying, here's what I've done myself. Um, oh, yeah. This is what I've struggled with you get a much better response where as people who are action oriented and out there saying, here's a gap, here's a problem, I'm going to fix it. We love and respond to learning from those who are, you know, one, two, three steps ahead of us and can oh, use yeah. their own examples. So for me, that's always been my approach is to say, um, I want to only speak into a space from that point of view of the practitioner who has done that before. Um, and so that has led to really that quite unique piece for me of I operate and do a lot of government advisory work and for big international funders so I can operate at that systems level and see what needs to happen. But I never want to lose that grassroots sense of what does it actually take to be the entrepreneur, the business owner trying to make this work on the ground because if you don't understand both sides of that equation, you can come up with things that seem like incredible interventions, but those of us who are doing the hard work know that uh, it will never work in reality. No question. Wonderful points, Bessie. You know, one of the things that you talk a lot about uh, is the importance of having very clear visions and values and principles. And seven years ago, when I started, you know, a business that grew really fast and we went from zero to 50 employees, zero to $5 million in about 18 months and having all this growth and what looked like was success. And as time went on, because our company was not built on a foundation of values and principles and a very clear vision, I ended up having to restart over and our current company is built upon that foundation but you obviously have learned this. Uh, I wish I had learned, but you know, that's how we do it. We learn it the first time. Don't, don't succeed. Oh, get it right yeah. the second time. But <laughs> how do you create values and principles and a vision um, with clarity and that's concise that, that uh, so many business owners struggle with this? What do you think is the process that's most effective to gain clarity on vision and values and principles within your business? You're definitely uh, not by any stretch of the imagination alone in having done that. I think one of the pieces that has shifted for me in the last few years in my work and why I'm now doing a whole lot of work around uh, the coaching space with business owners and leaders 
is that in that 20 years of work, what I have seen over and over again is that so often we jump into and focus on the business or the problem we're trying to solve and so quick to move into that action and wanting to make progress and see growth, uh, which are all wonderful things. But we very rarely, as the leader or business owner, have stopped and come from that place of foundational aspects of knowing, okay, what is it that I'm actually wanting to be uh, and stand for in the world? What are those values that I will not compromise on and that are going to be drivers of my decision-making and my behaviour? And if you start from that place, the, the sense that often people I work with have is that that feels like making them slow down and, and uh, waste time, if you like, from doing the real work. And yet what I have seen over and over again is that those who are really clear, and it sounds like in this iteration of your business, you've been in that place of being really very, clear on those very. things. What happens is you are so much more efficient because you can be very decisive. When an opportunity comes your way, you know straight away if it aligns or not, whether this is moving you in the direction of what your goals are and what success looks like for you as an organisation. And so, in fact, the, the work and the looking inside and figuring out and articulating these things does nothing but strengthen your ability to build a robust and very efficient, um, decisive organisation, but not decisive in that way where you make a decision really quickly and then spend the next six months not sleeping because it was such an unwise decision that then just had all of these consequences that you didn't see coming, uh, but from that place of alignment. So I'm a big fan of uh, values from the perspective of the work of someone called Patrick Lencioni. I'm not sure if you've read any of his books. He's got a whole stack of uh, really great books worth reading. But he talks about values and has a number of different types that he speaks about. But the two that I think are most useful for us as entrepreneurs to think about are core values and aspirational values. And the reason why they're different is that a core value is something that is already present. It's in your behaviour. It's who you are. You, you, um, the example that he uses is, do you have a tendency to take it too far? So when I said before growing up, some of my core values were work ethic and independence, my husband would tell you I have a tendency to take those things too far. Um, I, I can fall into that trap of, you know, getting obsessed and, and being too self-contained and independent and um, or working too hard to the point of exhausting myself. So core values are in that kind of category where you can very quickly identify that tendency to take it too far. It's, it's obvious to yourself and others that it is present. And the reason why thinking about this distinction between a core value and an aspirational value is important is that often we're tempted to name something as a core value or if we're doing this exercise and saying, I want my team to understand what's important and I want my customers to you know, know what I care about. We will name something that is not yet actually present in us. It's more aspirational and we think that that's a helpful thing. And yet when you're publicly saying that you, for example, are incredibly innovative, so we're an innovative company, and yet your customers and team are looking at you and saying, you're the most risk averse, you know, cautious person I know. And you're 
the way that you make decisions is totally based on is there precedent, where's the track record. Um, you're saying something that, that doesn't connect with my experience with you. And so that actually drops my trust and puts a, you know, instead of building up that no like trust and the, in meaning that your staff and your customers will stay with you, it actually um, puts a bit of a wedge between you. And so aspirational values are important to identify because they're things that we know we need to have in order to be successful in the future. But by not accidentally calling them a core value, we can then say to people why it's important and what we're going to do to bring that into our practice uh, without causing those mismatch in their experience from what we say and what we do. So that's kind of a bit of a um, cautionary tale, if you like, of how um, while it's important to think about these things, the naming of whether something is core or aspirational is actually really important. Oh, it's so important. So important for your team, for your culture. My previous company I had partners who would talk about being transparent, but they never were. They were the yeah. complete opposite of that. And, and that absolutely created a wedge. So the, the core value that we started with and we have on the wall in our office is we're going to do what we say we're going to do. Whatever we commit to, we're going to move heaven and earth to make that happen. If we're going to send that email, if we're going to send that contract, if we're going to take that action, you can guarantee that we're going to do it and everybody here is going to do it or it's not going to be a good fit. So that's wonderful values and principles. The difference between core value and aspirational value be who you are, that's your core, and then be honest with where you're at in terms of aspirational values. That's mm. outstanding. Great points, Bessie. You know, one of the things that you talk about is how to start again in moments of change as a business owner, entrepreneur. And obviously, in the last two years, we've had a lot of opportunity to figure out how to, you know, start again and change. And it's been very difficult for a lot of us. And there's been some businesses that were able to pivot and, and move forward during change and others that, that were unable to, you know, what are the keys and, and steps to be able to thrive in periods of massive change, which we've never seen change like this? Yeah, exactly. No, it has. And what's interesting is it, it seems like we keep getting these things of unprecedented this and then three months later yes. unprecedented so oh my goodness it's All just this never ending <laughs> there is no uh seems like we can't catch a break as uh particularly as business owners and entrepreneurs because you know there's a weight that we carry um in amongst all of that change I think one of the pieces that's really interesting to think about is again comes back to this idea of if we're really clear on what it is that we're trying to do and what uh, what's actually important to us as an organisation, then that becomes a bit of a filter, if you like, of the decisions that we're going to make and, and how we're going to shift or change. So during COVID, we had, so I'm based in Melbourne in Australia, and we had the most extensive lockdowns of anywhere in the world. So I think we ended up with something like 265 days of lockdown. It was horrendous. And um, as someone who at that point, all of our work relied on us getting on a plane because we were all across the Pacific Islands and working everywhere. Um, it was this big uh, challenge, if you like, to figure out, as you said, for some businesses, the switch to online was a straightforward one. There was um, tech and other things that had to be in place, but their actual way of working could be done online. One of the components that 
that we had to think about related to our work, and I'm sure that there would be some of your listeners who would be the same, is to first work out which parts of our work actually need to happen face-to-face or there would be um, a drop, if you like, in the quality or for us what was so important uh, to deliver to a client. So just like you said, if we say we're going to do it, we'll do it. There was elements of our work where when you're working with an organisation and having really difficult conversations with a board uh, or the executive team, a lot of that has to you have to be careful. You have to, there's a bit of a dance if you like. And when I'm in the room, you can read body language. You can understand how hard should I push this person before um, I've gone a bit too hard and I need to pull back. And so there was this judging of when is it actually unhelpful or damaging to both the client and to our reputation to just push on ahead and deliver that piece of work. So we actually, in that sense, made decisions to put on ice a whole bunch of of projects or hand them to other organisations that could do it face-to-face because we didn't feel it was a fit for us. And I think that's a good example of some of the components of what we have to weigh up in these times of change and when we're saying, right, this no longer works, what am I doing now, Mm. is the decision between reading the situation and saying, what aspect of this do I just need to adapt to? And even if it's uncomfortable when I'm back to being a complete novice and I'm used to being a master, that's actually just part of the journey. So jump back in and learn the new skill. And what parts is it actually really important that I stick to and say, uh, this is outside my skill set or my organization's skill set? And so to have integrity, we're going to hand that to someone else and focus on the pieces that we can do well. Uh, because what can be the undoing of a business you know if you've worked for years to build up a great reputation and then when these moments of change come you start promising things you can't deliver (laughs) then you can undo very quickly all of that uh, effort and work that that you've put in and so I think it's this dance between knowing and understanding your own skills and what's important to you as an organization and then also being willing to always be in that learning mode of just jump in there. It doesn't have to be perfect, but how do you bring your customers and your team along on that journey so that the discomfort, which is inevitable in these moments, um, can actually have a bit of a buffer or, um, you know, that that you can help absorb some of that, uh, which because not everyone is as good as entrepreneurs at uh, sitting in the mess of and chaos of, of what change actually feels like. No, no question about it. So there's the ability for you to, you know, be able to make that pivot in your business, move forward. And there are certain strengths that you can learn and can excel at, but understanding there's certain that you don't, and that's where you must bring in some experts. And it's interesting. I was, um, I was at an event uh, with Tony Robbins just a few months ago, and uh, he was speaking live uh, in person, one of the first you know, live in-person events, uh, you know, since, since the pandemic happened. Yeah. And he was talking about this uh, big change where he thought for sure they would never cancel all of his event, events in Las Vegas. Well, they did. They, they, they did. canceled all of them. They canceled all these events and he was losing all this money. 
And so he had to make this decision. All right, we're going to have to go virtual. And he knew some about it, but not enough. He brought in professionals who did. And he made this massive investment to do where, where he could have this screen and see literally thousands of faces on this yeah. screen. I did some of that with him. He did events. it so well. Yeah, he did it really well. But that's that thing, isn't it? He fully committed, which Anthony Robbins doesn't do anything half-hearted. Yes, but yes. He went all out. Yeah. Yeah. And we had something similar. Half of our business was live events uh, two years ago. And as all of those events were canceled, it took us a few months, but we figured out how to do these virtual events, kind of like Tony Robbins was doing and, yeah. and working within the different industries where we could provide business financing options. And we started to have record growth uh, in June and July of 2020 and every month since. And it was that ability you know, to pivot to prosperity mm-hmm. and, and bring in people who knew more than we did about it, but also learn, you know, some new uh, new skills. So guys, it, it can be done. So to kind of bring this all full circle is you, you've got values, you've got principles, you know how to deal with change. Now, as you're growing your business and having success, how can you intentionally incorporate, you know, doing good in the world with your profitability and and there, there's a new entity they talk about that's uh is it uh, uh like a b corporation oh, the b corps yep the b yep. corps so yep. how does this and i've got a friend who i think is doing it really well but how can how can we do this how can we you know be more than just a profit making machine and actually incorporate and make a difference you know in our community or in the world what does that process look like so the, the B Corp is an example of, if you like, signalling to the market what you think is important and there's an accountability aspect there too because there's the, um, I think it's every two years there's an auditing process and there's random kind of checks that are you actually doing what you say you're doing. And so some of that, depending what industry you're in, it may be that you have a customer base who would actually like that level of an external party validating what you're saying. So if that's important to your customers or investors, then that's certainly something that you could look at. For me, though, the passion around the role that business can play in making the world a better place, like right at that big level, is that I don't want it to be that someone has to have a certain legal entity or status um, to be able to do good, but that over time we get to a place where every business owner is taking responsibility for the decisions they have control over. So like I said before, if you look at your business and say, where do we spend the most money and what aspects of that do we have control over in terms of the decisions we're making on how that plays out? Just start with that because you can get overwhelmed if you start thinking like, oh, my goodness, I have to become a different type of entity and I have to uh, be doing everything right or else it's not worth doing anything. You'll end up being paralysed and not not acting. So start small if you need to. But as I said, the best piece is to look at where do you spend the most money and what are your decisions within that? Because when you come at it from that perspective, there are really clear components. So if we take, for example, a business where the most money is being spent on your staff, then rather than simply talking about um, that we're going to give away a certain percentage of profit or we will do certain uh, kind of donations or, or corporate social responsibility out in the community, what if you instead looked at 
the conditions that your staff are in? Are you paying them well? Are you creating an environment that's conducive to them having a quality of life? Are you generous with the um, the leave policies that you have and the way that you create an environment if they're physically working um, in your space? What does that look like? How do you start to think about those components and realise that actually as the business owner, if you're spending most of your money on your team, then the quality of their life flows back into their families and their communities. So you are having an impact, whether you're conscious of it or not, on the stress levels and therefore the relationships and all of those components that go on behind the scenes. So the, the encouragement from me around how to start to incorporate this more is to bring it back in-house. So don't just think about the good as being something you do out there or the giving away to others, but think about it related to how you're actually operating the business itself. And the reason why that has the win-win effect of doing good and making money is that if you actually treat your team better, if they're paid better, if they have better conditions and they love coming to work, they will interact better with your customers. You will have more retention, which drives revenue into your business model. You will not have the same levels of staff leaving and the costs to find and train new staff. The flow-on effects actually are significant on both reducing costs, so the back end of your business model, and then driving revenue and recurring revenue into the business model from that front end. So I think it's those are the two parts. So it's looking at the business itself as a place to do good, where do you spend your money, then thinking about not this just being, oh, my goodness, now we're going to have all these added expenses, we have to pay them more, we have to do these, but saying how do I incentivize these things so that actually it's not an added burden to the business but it actually is driving up the revenue and dropping down costs. So those things are not mutually exclusive. They can actually be reinforcing in a positive way. And it just takes the thinking and the design work, the same as you would do when you're coming up with a new idea or a new product, just sit with this, massage it, and don't kind of just land on the first thing. You know, the old saying, don't fall in love with your first idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Work with it a bit more. Um, But that's where I would encourage people to look inside their business and then don't just see this as a doing good on its own because that won't be sustainable if it ends up just dragging on the business in a way that you can't afford to to keep it going then you will have raised expectations that you can't deliver on so you need to think about the business model from both sides of the doing good and making money so the, the doing the good business. should drive the business forward it, it should shouldn't just be a, an expense that you're just adding to the budget it should drive it forward no. yeah, yeah. Beautiful. So, so the two keys that she just talked about guys is number one, you know, look within your business, where are you investing a lot? Where are you putting a lot of your money, capital and budget? And then how can you make improvements there? And I think it's just beautiful. I mean, oftentimes we, we fall in love, we travel around the world. We, Oh, I'm going to go, you know, invest all this money into a nonprofit, you know, halfway around the world when you're not paying your staff enough and they aren't able to create a great life for their family and their children, Mm -hmm. because we aren't doing enough to take care of them. And when you can invest and take care of them, and sometimes it's getting them new skills, new training, which is going to serve them, make the business more profitable, make them more expert at their job. And they're going to make more, they're going to make the company more. It's just this 
this whole energy that centrifugally goes in motion, that's just really beautiful and something that I think we can all do. Something else that kind of, uh, you know, hit me was maybe, you know, in marketing, we talk about, hey, if you're marketing to everybody, you're really marketing to nobody. You mm -hmm. need to pick a niche and really focus in on that. And I feel like that's my, it, would that be maybe something similar when you're talking about, you know, uh, something that's going to make the world a better place. Maybe you're going to focus on, you know, local food banks, or maybe you're going to focus on housing or, or certain areas where you can, and, and hopefully where your business, you know, has some strength and can actually make a difference. For us, we exactly. do a lot of finance and credit, and there's not a lot of, you know, education about, you know, money and credit within the country. And so that's something we've been thinking about is how can we, incorporate a lot of these education programs and get them to families and children for free and, and make a difference there. But what are your thoughts about really, you know, two things, focusing on some, a specific niche and hopefully in what are your core strengths where you can deliver, deliver a lot of value? Yeah, I think that's absolutely essential. In some ways, that is similar to the conversation about the core values component. So if you start mm. talking about something that to your customers and your team feels very disconnected from what you do as an organization. And so if you start saying, oh, we're in the finance space, but we're going to be giving a percentage of our profits to a health project in Mozambique, then people might go, okay, that's lovely, yeah. but explain to me the connection between those uh, two things because yeah. you lost me. So it might be nice but there isn't, there's no logical uh, connection. Whereas if you said, this is the space that we work in and we are passionate about people starting to understand finance better and have access to the tools that will actually improve their lives, as part of our work, we have looked at incorporating these components and our team are out in the community teaching these, you know, whatever it is that you do. And people say, oh, that totally makes sense that you do that. And how brilliant that you are actually putting all of the resources of your company to work in that way that's aligned, which really comes back to this idea of the, the use of time, talent and treasure. Because what I am excited for people to think about is not only to have that sense of what do they have control over that they can actually shape on that doing good and making money side within their business? But how do they put more than just money to work? So it's not as if our only option is the treasure we have, the giving away of money or the investing of money. We also have our, our talent and our time. And so within our teams, how do we also do things that unlike the old corporate social responsibility projects where someone who was actually a lawyer was sitting at a nonprofit and licking envelopes back in the day and, you know, putting newsletters and, and, and doing their volunteer work, not in a skilled capacity. How do we merge the time and talent piece and say, as an organisation, what are the, all of the resources we have? We have more than just money. What are our skills? What's the time available? Where are there down, down time periods where I'm paying someone to work, but there's actually not necessarily something for them to do in that hour or two in these patches. How do you then put that into motion again in an aligned way that makes sense for your team and your customers and start to really have a very strong message? So the reality is, again, if we go back to what drives revenue, so what's on the, do, the making money side of this equation, 
your point is exactly right. The market is not only demanding that businesses step up in this way, they want it to be authentic. And if you can frame that whole story that says this is who we are and these are all of the ways in which we're putting our resources to work in the world to achieve the vision of what we want to see happen, that's a powerful thing and and people will see that and you will stand out in ways that will absolutely position you for growth. Wow, this interview went completely different than what I expected, Bessie. This has been remarkable content and really a framework that's going to help you grow, make a difference. But that's the important thing. It's not just about, you know, you're just going to allocate some time and some money into something. No, you're going to use your core strengths and values that you can add value, that you're an expert at in your business, make the world a better place, make it more accessible to the people that need it. And that's what's going to move the needle and it's going to benefit your business. It's going to engage your team and employees at a level that they would not have been engaged at before. And it's going to make a real difference in your community. And what a beautiful message. Bessie, how can our audience reach out and connect with you and your organization and learn more about what you do and how they can incorporate these ideas into their own businesses? So we have a, uh, a Facebook group which people can can jump in to stay connected with me. Uh, so we'll share the share the link for that. Uh, but also I have a podcast called Both and with Bessie Graham, which people can listen to and connect with me also through any of the social media platforms. So Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Okay, awesome. Yep, definitely, uh, definitely connect. And, and can you uh, repeat those handles just one more time again on, on uh, yeah. Facebook and Instagram? So Bessie Graham, if you just go to Bessie Graham or one word on Instagram and, okay. uh, and Facebook, you'll find me and the same on LinkedIn. Okay, perfect. Bessie Graham, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, connect up with her. She's got some amazing tools to help you as a business owner and an entrepreneur. And this is not only going to, you know, obviously make the world a better place, but it's going to help you grow your business. It's going to have you help, you know, have more uh, of a focus as a team and, and a culture and everything that you're trying to do a bigger vision. Uh, I mean, it's just such a powerful concept. I've never heard it explained this way. Bessie Graham, we want to thank you for being a guest guys, reach out to Bessie and, you know, figure out ways that she and her team can help you to incorporate these ideas into your business and good things will happen. Bessie, the last word is yours. Thank you. I I think really it's just that aspect of related to the component you just spoke about of people growing their business and making money. You can be unapologetic about that because too often we feel like we have to be, if we start to talk about the doing good piece, the making money becomes awkward and uncomfortable. It shouldn't be. They should be back together and we can't do the great things we want to do in the world in an ongoing way unless we have the money to do it. So uh, be unapologetic. As long as you're doing good and making money at the same time, may all the growth and uh, wealth come to you. Let's do it. Well, thanks so much, guys. Take action. Incorporate these principles. Uh, connect with uh, Bessie. Join her private Facebook group so that you can you know, network with like-minded entrepreneurs who are making a difference and doing it within the, the confines of their business, making a difference in their team, their community, their products. Thank you so much for being a guest, Bessie. Pleasure. Thank you. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? 
then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.